What's up, everybody? I hope you are having a great week if you're listening to this. Uh, chances are you are having a great week because you're most likely a big LSU fan, meaning that you experienced one of the biggest LSU wins of recent memory this uh, last Saturday night. So welcome in. This is going to be a very fun episode of the Hold That Podcast podcast, HTPP in the house, which means, of course, it is myself, T-Bob Bear from Off the Bench on 104.5 ESPN and The Athletics, Brody Miller. What's going on, T-Bob? What's up, man? I'm, dude, I'm doing great. I had some Elsie's for dinner last night. Yeah? It's firmly rising up my ranks of favorite restaurants in Baton Rouge. You, Staples, Deli, the, who else? Brooks Cabina, Wilson Alexander, wow. Billy Embody. It was a, it was a whole... Oh, and, and Liz Dellinger, how could I forget? Love Liz Crisp. She'll always be crisp to yeah, me. Yeah, true, 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 true. Um, but yeah, man, so I'm feeling great right now. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. Um, shout out Elsie's. Also, shout out A-Bear Specialty Meats. Nice. Go buy all your game day meats there and then sign up for The Athletic. All right, now that's out of the way. Uh, let's dive into this Florida game. And if this is your first time listening, welcome. But each and every week, this is just an hour straight of nitty-gritty LSU talk. I'm guessing on the outside of this conversation, um, I doubt we're going to look forward to Mississippi State a lot. Not a ton. I think this is going to be a lot of looking back on uh, on Florida because I think Mississippi State looks terrible and they lost to Tennessee. Um, Although it is a fascinating trap game. No, it's not. So this is where this is where so actually okay. it, it, by definition is <laughs> yeah, by so yes by our understanding of a trap game it is by why any understanding why why I why I think it is not is something to be fair it's something more specific it is because the only reason I say that with such confidence is because yesterday uh, I was up in that football building doing a little tour yeah. with uh, one of my old player buddies and so I got to see a bunch of people I hadn't talked to him forever and you're just talking to guys around the building. That loss two years ago in that stadium is so firmly planted in these people's heads. Like, it is like, it was like the first thing that people were bringing up constantly throughout the day. So, I mean, that that's why I arrive at it. It, it is, yes, as our as the definition of trap games go, being sandwiched in between a top 10 Florida team and then a top 20 Auburn team. And would, then going on the road. Yes. One of the tougher environments. Yes, yeah. would absolutely fall into that. I just think that this team... Because of the leadership and because of the focus of just getting, uh, just getting their ass wrecked yeah. two years ago, it was I, an all time beating, like an all time beating, yeah. and and Ogeron was talking about how loud it was and how they weren't ready. I mean, he was talking about that at press conference. Um, there's revenge in the air for a lot of these players, so I I, I fully expect them to come out and just kick ass on Mississippi State. And congratulations to wearing your Mississippi State colors this week, though. These are not Mississippi Shout State out to colors. the Clarion Ledger. It's, this is uh, like it's a generic red. This is not. Uh, this is, is not maroon. That is getting very close to maroon. I really don't think it is, buddy. Um, maybe we'll maybe like, like the little edge part. I'll, I'll I'll put a picture on Twitter and we'll let democracy decide, won't we? I don't think that's what... Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, actually, Twitter is the rawest form of democracy, literally. Okay. I'm gonna if look. you throw a poll up, how's it not? Because they're not voting for, like, to change anything. They're just voting their opinion, like, to say, like, this is what I think. Yeah, but it's still... I mean, is, does, the democ- does the democratic vote have to actually change something, or is it just getting an answer from a mass group of people. I know I'm right, but I know it's one of those arguments where if I argue, there's just no winning. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to move on. It's uh, great instincts, Brody. Yeah, it was a good win for me, for rarely. Anyway. I don't think you're right, but that's okay. Because I think it fundamentally is government. Like, it has to be that. Anyway. Um, uh-huh. 
But again, there's no winning in this argument. So let's get into Florida. Let's get into Florida, man. I mean, you know, we kept seeing how amazing this offense was for five weeks, and the, it was the kept being this thing of okay, but they haven't played a good defense, and that's accurate, 100 percent accurate. But to see them go against a defense that maybe the opinions have changed now, but going into that game, I think a lot of people were really arguing that was the best defense in the SEC, top three in the country. I mean, that defense looked like a juggernaut compared to this offensive juggernaut, and. This LSU offense was never really in trouble. They got stopped once in Florida territory on the first drive. That wasn't yeah. trouble. They still moved the ball. Every, like you know, we were curious if they'd be able to run the ball against them. What did they do? Florida gave them running numbers. They ran for over two hundred yards. They gave, they tried to put some pressure on Joe Burrow. He got the ball out fast and dominated. The the offensive line had the game of their lives, which I'm, I know we're about to break down in depth. But offensive line legitimately halted this Florida pass rush, which you have to mention they were without their best pass rusher, Jonathan Grenard, for essentially the entire game. That matters. But still, five like four four or five guys across that line, they won every snap almost. So yeah. very few do they lose. So I mean, this was just an overall statement for that offense from top to bottom of like, okay. This is no longer some hypothetical, you know, kind of fun little thing. This is legitimately an offensive juggernaut and a team that I firmly now believe you can actually put them like that Alabama game might be a thing now. Yeah. Um. So one one, one thing that I found interesting was some people coming out on the other end of this game and <laughs> thinking that or, or, or saying things like, while while the LSU offense, like maybe the 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 numbers weren't as gaudy as other games. Uh, they were dominant, and that is a true sentence. However, in my opinion, the numbers are actually more gaudy this 100%, game. Yeah. It's just from an efficiency standpoint rather than a raw volume standpoint. Yeah, like uh, twelve yards per pass attempt, ten yards per attempt is elite. It's it's my single favorite stat measuring a quarterback because it combines uh, your completion percentage. Are you just checking it down? Are you actually pushing yeah. the ball downfield? Like it is the single best metric, I think. For quarterback play, ten yards is elite. Twelve yards is ludicrous, and it's actually where Burrow's been like all year long. Which He's is third in the country in yards per attempt. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Twelve yards. While being first to completion percentage, so the com- combination of those two things is really where it gets crazy. Go on. Nine. No, you're absolutely right. Nine yard. Nine point one yards per carry. We all know the old thing. Four and a half, five yards. That's great. Well, they were at nine, and then ten point <sighs> six yards per play. Take a step back. And think about that. I read about four different of y'all's athletic articles where people reference this stat, and it's a because worthy, I, it's a worthy stat. You were obviously the germ that infected all the national. No, writers. no. Here's what no. Here's what happened. My so my direct editor, his name is Jason Starrett. His like whole career up before he took this job was he was an ESPN stats and info. Yeah, guy. I followed him on Twitter the other day. He's, he's a great, great follow. follow. Great, but follow. yeah, he's a great guy. Uh, great editor too. But yeah, so his whole career has been like one of the is best. Is he a Louisiana guy? He's in New Orleans now. Okay, he's not a Louisiana so. guy. Okay, but he's in New Orleans yeah. now. Okay, but yeah, so he's like an ESPN stats info guy. That's where he made his name. So he like it's like this amazing luxury in our Slack channel because we'll oh, just like man. have these unreal stats and then we all use that stat. But oh, so Jason <laughs> stared to the real uh, source of this. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. History yeah. blew up more than mine. Don't worry, he gets credit. But. Anyway, no, sorry to brush you off there. 10.6 yards per play. I mean, that cannot be glossed over. Yards per play. And just to be, you know, to compare it to something for you guys for reference, that is the third most in an LSU game in school history. It is the most ever in an SEC game. Yeah. And I believe the most ever in a ranked game. And they just did it against a defense that people thought might be the best in the SEC. Yes, yeah, so like, that, that is that, that's, absurd. That's the wildest part yes. um, where we start to border on absurdity, insanity, whatever you want to call it, is that 
These numbers would have been gaudy and would have been unreal against the Georgia Southern. They would have been yes. unreal against that terrible Vanderbilt defense. And yet you're talking about a Florida defense that was viewed as one of the best in the entire country. Now, now I, I think there's maybe an element of Florida's defense being a bit overvalued, but there's yeah, still a still damn good defense. Top 15, yeah. Yes, the majority of the teams that they square up with, they're going to kick their ass defensively. I think Auburn's maybe slightly better across the board, but I don't know. I mean, Florida's secondary, Henderson looked great. Yeah. It, well, I shouldn't say their secondary looked great. Henderson had his moments, but overall, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson just dominated them. But yeah, think about that. 10.6 yards per play. Every so, play you ran, you were averaging a first down. That's how you score 42 points in 48 <laughs> plays. That's you, how you only reach third down four times uh, in, in a game where you score 42. I mean, yeah, there's probably, like, I'm not making this argument, but there's probably an argument to me when you combine all those factors. You could convince me this is the best offensive game in LSU history. I Because you say the most yards for play ever against any ranked team, any SEC team. I mean, this was absurd. And, yeah, like, the numbers aren't as gaudy. I see what people are saying. But you're missing the point that they had 21 minutes of time possession compared to 38. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's just volume versus like efficiency. Florida had the ball a lot. So, yes. But whatever else you had it, they marched. It was, I don't know. I mean, and it they, felt inevitable. Like, like it felt like it which, didn't feel like there's not a ton of tension when the LSU offense hits the field right now. Nope. It's so chill. You're just like, okay, I mean, Burrow's just going to like make it look like it's just written up for him to have <laughs> success. Like, it should not be that easy to find wide open receivers against this Florida team. Yeah. And, and yet it was all night. And this is when we will say it again that, like, for the Florida people who are in my mentions quite angry, it is worth saying Jonathan Grenard, who you could really make an argument is top three or four pass rushers in the country, behind Chase Young and some of those guys. I mean, he's a freak, and he went out early in the first quarter. That yeah. matters. That matters a lot. And then Jonathan – now, the Jabari Zuniga one people bring it up, he went down later in the third quarter. That that also matters a lot. He's also one of their best pass rushers. He's a star. But by then, LSU had already – was on the verge of already putting up 35 points in six or seven drives. Yeah. You know, like – Zuniga was Zuniga, already pro- – he'd already lost that battle. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. I'm, I mean, I'm not denying that matters down the stretch. You know, it might have made a difference. But losing two people like that, it matters. But – so that's my only thing I'll like give them. The, prob- the problem with that game is the problem with that game is first off, um, LSU's only reps they lost on the offensive line all night nearly were first drive really. were were scheme. Well, but were also more scheme related than they were a yeah. guy just getting his ass kicked one on one. If they had won more of those one on one battles against Florida, then maybe I give that a little more uh, give that a little more credit. Also, I mean, look, man, uh, if you play the injury game, then it always goes both ways. LSU was without the guy who was leading the nation in touchdowns when he got hurt yeah. in Terrace Marshall, Absolutely. right? Like, I mean, like, it really, and they did all the damage almost solely through Jefferson and Chase. Yeah. So what happens if you throw Marshall in there as well? <laughs> I mean, like, so I don't know, man. I think oh, yeah. you can play that game all day. I'm just playing a little Even though Dan it. Mullen seemed pretty salty about it after the game, he bas- didn't he basically like, His post-game comments the, were essentially... Use the injury excuse? Yeah, not a great look for Dan, because he called an amazing game, so like you don't need to do that. Like You don't need to go with that. Hey, he called a spectacular game at times. He made a couple questionable decisions. The third Why one. he went to Emory Jones on that one drive where they end up uh, stalling out when they had scored for their last five 75-yard drives, and he went was with an entire out? The Emory Jones. Out? Yeah. Like fir- okay. It yeah. was at the point of the game where I think I tweeted, okay, next team they get to stop wins, because they had just been... It, it was, it was yeah, right after 28-21, then 28-28, and I think that's when he put Jones in. It was kind of like, huh, 
That first three and out, one thousand percent changed the game. Yeah, yeah. It's like I don't know why he, but 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 either way, Dan Mullen's an offensive genius. He he proved that. Uh, Kyle Trask is a much better player, I think, than uh, I thought, and a lot of other people thought yep. going into that game. But let's start. Okay, so let's get into his offense. We mentioned the 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 numbers and how absurd they are. Um, and to me, then the 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 natural progression of how do those numbers uh, get created? I think the next thing to talk about is the offensive line because we said it leading up to the game. Uh, that was going to be the battle to watch. Like, and we said it, like we expected LSU's offense to dominate. Um, I expected them to put up forty or high thirties. Uh, but the only thing that maybe gave me pause was I always had the caveat: well, if the tackles can win the majority of the one-on-ones. And so shout out to Austin Deculus and Sadiq Charles and that entire offensive line because they won those one-on-ones. They gave Burrow time. They played nearly flawless. And look at what happened. The offense put up, like Brody said, maybe the best performance in LSU history. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a time for, it's probably worth me saying, you know, like there's nothing worse than a guy who, like digs in and just tries to like defend himself when he, when he has a take. Like was myself and many others were objectively wrong. I kept thinking like, okay, this offensive line. I said they're playing better, yeah, but they haven't faced anyone like this. I think they're better, but they're still going to lose that battle. I thought, you know, I called them the weakness of this team all season. It's no longer. I mean, I have to just flat out give them all the credit. They right now look like one of the top half offensive lines in the SEC, maybe one of the better ones in the SEC. They were already looking much better by a lot of statistical margins, and then they just faced this pass rush. And, like, even without the Grenards of the world, I mean, just, like, one through five or six on that, that front seven is it's genuinely one of the better ones in the SEC. Yeah. And they just dominated them. They beat and, them when on man. They beat them. They, they bulldozed some guys. They passed protected well. I mean, they earned them. And now, all of a sudden, they're, like, top 25 in almost every metric in the country. I mean, they are a really good offensive line. And and it's like Florida didn't have Zuniga for a lot of the success that they had earlier in the year, and I didn't see that being an excuse for like uh, <laughs> right for so, I mean yeah so like the the offensive line th- there's nothing to me that anybody could say to diminish the credit and, and I think it's important though you mentioned not digging your feet in uh, we'll circle back around to our democracy argument later but I think it's important <laughs> to um, you you have to allow room for growth. And I think the objectively, like I don't think you were wrong in saying that the offensive line was the weakness. They had moments at the beginning of the year where that was the only evaluation that could be made. If if you were looking at the offensive, looking for areas of improvement, and I almost think you can specifically highlight Adrian McGee here because his growth is representative to me of the entire offensive line growth where he looked like a weak point at the beginning of the year. He looked dominant on Saturday. I mean, on the Clyde long touchdown run, he had a perfect one-on-one block where he drives his man into the ground. Um, He looked good in pass protection. And and and, and it's kind of crazy because Ed Ingram looks really good too. Like you now have six O-linemen that are playing at a very high level and that's your magic number. It's, you know, you may get unlucky and you may have injuries stack up, but if you have six that you feel really comfortable in, that's going to get you through a lot of bad situations. And so the rise of Adrian McGee, he deserves a ton of credit. And um, and, and like I said, that growth to me is representative of the whole O-line growth. And, 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 and then even like the leadership from Cushenberry, putting up the stats from last year's uh, Florida game where they gave up 11 tackles for loss, five sacks of fumbles. He put that in everybody's locker like... They were focused. They were on a mission for revenge, and they got that revenge and then some. It was awesome. Yeah, I would love to try, like really ask around, just like who do people think 
deserves the credit for, I guess, this transformation. Because it's not that common of a transformation. It's relatively, you know, uncommon. And I almost, part of me is thinking, I mean, last year, I think if you really look at it, I think one of their biggest problems was, and obviously it was injuries and all these things that attributed to it and the position changes, but they did not seem to communicate well. And I just, and Lloyd Cushenberry was slowly kind of becoming a leader kind of character in there, but he wasn't really like, he was the leader, but he, he was figuring it out. And I just think you're seeing him, he is the coach of that offensive line. I mean, obviously James Craig, I don't mean to diminish that. James Craig deserves a lot of credit. But I'm just saying Lloyd Cushenberry has become like a yeah. true alpha kind of figure in that room. And I really think it's, I mean, you talk, I remember talking to Sadiq Charles back in the Fiesta Bowl. And it was fascinating to hear him talk. I don't know why I made that. I made a weird hand motion. No, 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 no. Sorry, I wasn't even. That's me being awkward. I was just. You said Sadiq Charles. My brain flashed back to the awesome horns down nice, uh, okay. thing he did again. Yeah, I'm sorry. But yeah, and Sadiq Charles was saying he's like Lloyd Cushenberry. Like most people don't realize he's like that dude. I almost wor- he's like I worry about him because he puts so much on himself. Like he this entire offensive line he puts on himself. He puts on himself to make sure every single player on that line is doing the right thing. You watch a game. He's telling everybody what to do. When yeah. somebody messes up, what you love pointing out, when somebody messes up, you can see like clockwork him run over and tell the guy exactly what he messed up. Yeah. I really think that deserves a lot of credit. But then I'll move on and give a lot of credit to those offensive tackles because that was the matchup, like you said, that was going to decide this game. Can those offensive tackles step up? Ed Ogeron said it too. And Austin, I think I could be completely wrong here, so I apologize for my Did wrong. O say that Austin played his best game of his I'm career pretty sure he yesterday? did. And then Damian Lewis um, told me yesterday, and I could be wrong on this, I'm pretty sure he said Austin Deculus graded the highest in that game. I mean, mm. Austin Deculus wow. had a great game. He's, he was never, let's put it this way, you never noticed Austin Deculus. That was, that's what I tweeted immediately after the game was you didn't hear a single offensive lineman's name all night, which is the. Uh, it is the sad truth of O-line play. If you yeah. go completely unnoticed, uh, chances are you had a dominant game. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, that's part of why James, I remember James Moran and I post-game were like, listen, offensive linemen only get noticed when they play badly. You know what? We should write about it. Like, <laughs> we just like, you know what? They play well. Like We got to give them a little credit. That is true. Brody doing God's work had a and very James, James good uh, – I, I didn't I get to read James yet, but they both had very good breakdowns of the uh, – or highlighting the offensive what, line. What did you see from Sadiq, by the way? Um, so so far, I have not worked my way all the way through the film yeah. for whatever reasons. We've we've talked. I'm a little annoyed with Hulu. Whatever. It doesn't we'll matter. talk about it later. Um, I I I mean, he looked great from what I saw. Um, yeah. Run blocking, pass Definitely. blocking. I mean, he looked like the guy that flashed as a freshman. Like like he looks like that player again right now. And we haven't – what's hurt Sadiq more than anything this year hasn't been his level of play, though. It's been availability. Yeah. It's been being suspended got, for three games. You can't – or coach's decision. Nice. For three games. You can't <laughs> – you can't like – it's, it's hard to judge a guy when he's not always out there. Yeah, and also it's probably tough for him, right? You would think. Yes. You tell me. I mean – because offensive well, line is so continuity based that it's yeah. got to be tough to like every other game be playing. I, I would I would think so. You can't really hit a rhythm, but I mean I guess there's counter arguments like fresh legs and other stuff like that. But I mean that is important to highlight that maybe is why the offensive line has not looked as strong as they did to this game is that they always this was the first game with the they same haven't been lineup. in full strength. This was the first <laughs> game they've had the same lineup two weeks in a row. Exactly, right? And so and so you did see some payoff, I think, from a continuity standpoint, from a chemist standpoint. But let's be clear. You talk about why the improvement takes place. Uh, there is still, and it's just, we don't mention this because we beat it like a dead horse, but there is still, why would people beat dead horses? I don't think that's how that saying works. It doesn't matter. There is still no greater reason for the improvement those horses. than the, uh, for real, than the scheme, though. Uh, I mean, last year they were not put in positions to succeed. Bottom line, 
Like, yeah. the ball's getting held on to forever because you're keeping receivers in. Burrow has nowhere to go with the ball. It's bad for all parties involved, and it makes everybody look worse. When you scheme it up like they are now, where the ball is coming out quicker, and for whatever reason, I, I, I don't know, because I'm not in those meetings, I don't know what the pass protection rules were last year compared to these new five-man protections, but it looks like the communication of responsibility is so much better in this new scheme. And and, and I don't think it's as rigid. It probably was a little more rigid when you're talking about max protect and six-man protections where in a lot of these five-man protections, and they're playing a lot of odd defenses, um, they're just sorting out. It's kind of you have general responsibilities and you're passing off and and sorting out and and they did a really good job of that because Todd Grantham uh, and this is what all D coordinators do but you know they, they they try to show you blitz from one side and bring it from the other and make you kind of uh, pass guys off and 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 deal with it and else you did a very good job of that I thought so I think scheme is still though first and foremost of the improvement. And so you're getting, you, like, every player has to be put in a position to succeed or you're not going to get a real look at their talent level. And so you see when you actually have good players and you do good things, well, that, that applies to the entire LSU offense, doesn't it? Absolutely. In terms of what they looked like last year versus this year. No, yeah, I think when you're ranking it, you probably go scheme number one. Yeah. Continuity, I think, is number two. And then just flat-out improvement. You yeah. know, like, just pass protection improvement, all those things. Because if you ask them for the pat, we've been asking them, Sorry, apologies to them. We've been asking the past ten months the same question over and over again. And they hate us of just like, what are you guys working on? How are you trying to improve? And like every time, their answer is just like, we're working a lot on pass protection footwork. We're working a lot on pass protection, and yeah, it's showing. I mean, it's made a difference. And, and like you said, I think the biggest difference when you look at those games where they got whooped last year. It was always the same type of defense. It was the defenses that were running confusing stunts, and it was the Floridas. It was the, oh, my God, what was the, who did they play? What was the FCS school they played? Um, Southeastern. It was Southeastern. It was just like teams that they should not have a problem blocking, and they were just confused and always would miss the guy, and one guy just didn't touch a guy because he thought another guy had him. It was those communication issues, and you are seeing that improve, like you said. So I think that is really what's what's most noticeable. Whatever the new rules are. Because... Last year, what was their best offensive line block game? If you, I would say Auburn was their best offensive line game last yeah. year. What did Auburn? They Auburn had an unreal defensive line last year, maybe the best front four in football last year. And but they just play. Kevin Steele plays pretty straightforward. He plays pretty base. When LSU's just in a base situation, they're talented enough to block a lot of guys. Like it's LSU, you have talented linemen. So now they're kind of putting that with the actual communication parts of it, the pass protection rules, like you said, the scheme. It's all coming together, and I think that's. I don't know. You gave up no sacks. No sacks. Only and like, like and like Brody wrote pressures. about and like Brody wrote about it, in sixty and even the pressures were because of some misidentified protections. Yeah, Burrow uh, took the blame for those, which was interesting. But in yeah, I, I think Burrow makes the majority of the protection calls or okay. his Kush. I'm not sure. I, they, I that's okay, maybe that's a project for this next week. Figure out yeah, the yeah. chain of command in terms of protection that's a good calls. Good story idea. Um You're an idea guy, remember? Yeah, yeah, I'm the idea guy. You execute it, I'll just give you the big ideas. Um Oh shit! What was I gonna say? Is okay. We were talking about rules, sorting. Oh, oh no! As you wrote about sixty combined snaps, yeah, sixty combined pass snaps for Deculus and Sadiq Charles, and within those sixty, they gave up one pressure and one quarterback hit. Doesn't get any better than that, people. Nope. So shout out to the offensive line. You deserve a and lot they of the love. Two toughest matchups. Yeah, because even like even when Grenard went out, by the way. Moon, I forget his first name, I apologize, but Moon, their outside linebacker, he's also a 
like he would be a starting outside linebacker on almost any SEC yeah. team. So like both those guys are the two toughest matchups. Um, and you know who helped both those guys out, and he deserves a shout out. Uh, shout him out, honorary lineman Thaddeus Moss. Nice, good segue. Um, God, that's a radio guy. He to me, it is the story of Thaddeus Moss is fascinating because last year he was injured a lot, didn't practice a lot, wasn't available. And because of that, uh, you started hearing whispers like he kind of got this reputation for being soft. 100%. But when you watch this guy run block, he is anything but soft. My man was blowing people up this last game. They love to use him in a uh, fullback-esque role where he a lot of interesting uh, running plays where he comes inside almost like a pulling guard or a lead back. Um, Him chipping. On some of these defensive ends <laughs> to slow them down. I mean, who tweeted? Somebody tweeted that Cole. he he straight up. Yeah, it was Cole Kubik. Yep. He did a Hadouken like from Street Fighter. Way, like, is, is that a comment? Like, if I just like never noticed that, do people do that, or was that rare? What his, his technique? Yeah, it was a little like extra Street Fightery. Generally, you don't throw the hands from the hip like he did. Okay. But in terms of hitting the defender in the hip, that's where you want to hit. You ever had somebody get on your hip? If you want to talk about, like, it's a leverage game, right? It's about weight manipulation and trying to make people move where they don't want to move. If somebody pushes your hip, you'd be shocked at how little control you then have over yourself. So, yeah, he placed his punch perfectly. His windup was just kind of hilarious. It looked like a video game. It looked like a Hadouken or, for you DBZ fans, maybe a Kamehameha. Uh, But the point being, not only is he a very good receiver, which we also saw this game, Basically, the only guy that caught balls besides Jefferson and uh, Chase, but but he's a hell of a blocker, and he looks like a tough son of a bitch to me, dude. Yeah, it's weird. by the way we asked him yesterday about that block, and he was just like, he was like, I'm kind of bummed. I was trying to knock him on the ground. But, <laughs> I mean, that's how you do it, dude. You get on their hip. But no, it's a really good point you bring up. I mean, that was the narrative about him is that he was soft and he was a receiver only, and people a little. That's probably just the connotation of being Randy Moss's son. You know? Yeah, for but, sure. But still, I think he would have told you that to some extent. That was what. And Ojean said that all the time. That was like what he did. He was the receiver. And all, he looks a lot like Foster Moreau right now. Yeah. He really For does. Real, though. And actually, real. except Foster, if Foster had chances to actually go downfield more. And yeah, you're seeing Foster can actually catch the ball. Look at the NFL. His first touchdown True. was spectacular. And like, I remember we talked to Thaddeus Moss in August when, you know, we started hearing, like, he's actually one of the better blockers right now. And he said, when I got here, I had to learn how to block. He's like J.D. Moore and Foster Moreau and some of those guys. So this was not always a talent that he had. This is he something he's developed. He he was better than the people think he was. Yeah. But still, he said, yeah, I had to learn how to block him. He's a different style. But he's wow. just like Foster and, and Moore and those guys, they had to really and, uh, yeah, they had to really teach him how to block. And I think it took him a little time. Because, I mean, nobody was saying about them that about that about him last year and we all you know the stories have been told about him not going home for spring break and staying here to you know work out and get better yeah. and all that and those things can be a little corny but like i think it's true that he really did kind of put it together and grind this year and he's it's been a season of kind of success stories so far and people kind of surprising us but he is one of the quiet ones who deserves quite a bit of credit i agree also you know, he has on- 11 catches by the way which i'm pretty sure is I mean, tight end like, record for LSU. Is that true? <laughs> no, 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 like, no. I mean, that's heck? so sad that you'd make me think that that is true. But, but no, he's 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 been good at blocking and and receiving. Actually, and on the Jefferson touchdown, that was like right at the corner when he barely got in the end zone. The one they reviewed, Thad Moss was wide open. My man could have had a uh, another score true. potentially. Um, 
All right, so I wanted to shout out Thad Moss. Uh, now, speaking what? of receivers, seeing the tight ends, the sinew of the segue, both between the offensive line to the tight end, then you go tight end to receivers. Nice. Uh, Jamar Chase and Justin Mo-fucking-Javazan. I got a fun question for you. Yeah, what you got? So we were putting together our athletic midseason all American teams this year. Yeah, and we had to, you know we had one, basically like one spot to decide on, you know, because I think three others were ahead of them, and it became this massive like athletic debate of do you go Jefferson or Chase for that spot? And man, I had some debate with some other reporters about it. I don't like that is a brutal question. We settled on Chase. I mean Jefferson. Sorry, Jefferson got the second team all American spot, but. Because my my argument was, and I want to be clear, I do not feel strongly about this. It goes back and forth every game. But well, I mean, on any lists like that, you're going to be splitting hairs somewhat. So just but, engage with it. But yeah, my my overall slight edge was that I think Jefferson is just the best overall down to down consistent. Like you can trust him in any situation. Receiver, while Jamar Chase is the best pro prospect. I mean, Jamar Chase has moments where he just flat. I I compared it in my story yesterday. Like it's almost like an NBA basketball player who's just like on a heat check. And yeah, he's just like can take over. You know, like I'm like a James Harden. Like he was, he just has moments where he just takes over a quarter. He's just like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna own these two drives. Got it. And the Burrow will go to him like six times in a row. And that's I think he's a little more like freaky. But Jefferson is just down to down. I gave him the slight edge. Yeah. So right now, uh, Jamar Chase and Jefferson are six and seven in the country in terms of yards per game. Uh, Jamar Chase is at one fifteen per. Jefferson's at one eleven per. Uh, Jefferson has 40 catches. Jamar Chase has 30 catches. And they both have eight touchdowns. Uh, so they've both absolutely been spectacular. Yeah, I don't. it's weird. Like, the instinct always is to go, and, and it's a credit to you, I think, that you went Jefferson over Chase. Uh, but the instinct, for whatever reason, is always to go Chase. And, and, and I know we keep talking about Chase is a better NFL prospect, and I agree. And he seems like the most just raw, physically dominant one. But, like, I can't – I almost want to get an NFL scout in here to ask, like, are we undervaluing Jefferson's own physical That's skill set? Because all the guy does is continue to dominate. He's and, in a modern and, NFL, yeah. And, 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 yes, exactly, right? And this is not like the day and age where it's a super physical game in the, in the secondary small receivers – Slot guys have emerged as like almost your primary guys. Is that why we we lean Chase because we view Jefferson as a slot guy, and for whatever reason, we always kind of knock slot guys versus a guy who's getting it done on the edge. See, no, I I see what you're saying, hundred percent. But that's kind of why I chose him first, is because he was like the leading receiver last year by a wide margin as the outside guy. Yeah, he's done that. He's been a deep threat. He's been a jump ball guy. Some of those catches he made against Utah State, like he's been a guy winning those one on ones. He can beat you on the outside, on the inside. He can be a great route runner. He can he can break some tackles. He's good after the catch. I mean, I think he's just an overall pretty complete receiver. I, I think what you're saying about the pro debate is really interesting. My guess would be like, what do I know? But I, I almost think it's more of like a. Jefferson is kind of a sure thing. Like, I know Jefferson will probably have an NFL career. Yeah. I know, like, Justin Jefferson will last. He will get open. He's, he's going to know what he's doing. He's smart. Jamar Chase, like, I, I mean, he's probably a pretty sure thing, too. But but Jamar Chase has a chance to be, like, if things work out, Jamar Chase could be a Pro Bowl superstar. Yeah. And that's, I guess, all I mean. He just has, like, a slight different upside. And to be fair, he is younger, and, and so to be doing this even at a younger age, it's always going to give you a little bonus points in the – Impressive category. The bottom line takeaway, if you're listening to this, that you should have from this conversation is simply uh, how amazing it is that you could that you could even have this conversation. That you have two guys who 
are statistically pushing each other so hard that they're both fighting for All-American spots and they're on the same team. And again, this is without Terrace Marshall, who was leading the nation in touchdowns when he got hurt. Mm. And uh, Wow. This is a random segue, but it, it brings up, I think next year's going to be so fascinating in so many ways, and obviously we'll see what happens with, like, you know, what's going on, like, is Joe Brady still here, things like that, it's a whole different debate, but... Whoa, 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 don't you dare put that out into the universe, Brody. He's a hot commodity. Um, He's a hot commodity. You think somebody offers him a head coaching job? Well, I mean, I think there are a lot of things that play there. Does he want to be in the NFL? You know, I, wouldn't, I, won't, I don't think it's crazy to believe. I'm not predicting this, but I don't think it's crazy to think an NFL team, I know. especially as the NFL wants to I know. go more modern. I know. Go they all love McVay, don't they? So, well, Sean McVay's 3-3, three and three, Brody! Moving on. 3-3! Uh, <coughs> and three! But, yeah, I mean, I could totally see an NFL team offering an OC job. Um, son of a bitch. I know. Unfortunately, maybe. And then, correct. yeah, I'm curious if a head coach job comes around. But at the same time, I think LSU's probably going to throw. Quite a bit of I, I my my firm belief on the Brady thing is yes. The only way he leaves would be for an NFL coordinator job or a head job somewhere. I don't see a. Head and then job. again, like it's kind of like the Aranda thing. An LSU offensive court, they could pay him to be an offensive coordinator. Most than a overwhelming majority of head coaching jobs right now. Yes, in college. Yes, that is fair. I so just, I also think I, I think I think I think people would still probably be too hesitant to go head coaching unless you're just. I mean, I don't know. Whatever. No, never I, never I think doubt it's a, valid. Never yeah. doubt a coaching search's ability though to just be like, screw it, we gotta we gotta do something big. Yeah. And by the way, this is all just us projecting. I mean. Yeah, we have no clue. Okay, so so my final statement on that is Sorry. simply no, 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 no. I mean, I brought it up. I engaged with it. I th- I think that um, I don't. You will not see him make a lateral move. Like nobody is going to outbid for him at the services of a college OC. Yes, uh, that hundred percent NFL OC. Yeah, maybe that could be a battle, and then uh, a head coach. That'd be it. But anyway, I brought it up. Just sorry. Uh, yeah, we got way off track, but good discussion. Actually, yeah, whatever. Uh, That's the hold that podcast podcast. It is, it is what it is. Uh, I'm. We're still going to return to this democracy thing later. So continue. Okay. I'm a political science major, so. Oh shit! I'm not. I'm not. I lied. Oh, I uh, I that's even a good lie, though. You should have just rolled that. I absolutely would have. Because believed then, like, you. you like a month down the line, you would have asked me something, and I would just been like, I don't know. Look, man. I'm a general studies major, so that's actually pretty hard to argue with because. I know a little bit about you know everything. everything. I, yeah, I mean, Jesus, sir, I straight up. This. Anyway, I have such a thirst for knowledge that I couldn't be confined to a single subject like all you neophytes and ingrates. I'm a journalism major who didn't go to class because a journalism major, wow, this is going to sound, is one of the sillier degrees because everything you'll ever learn about journalism you learn by just doing. Just doing it, yeah. So classes are silly, so I never went to class. Anyway. I never went to class either. It kind of bums me out, though. Like I, I do wish, now regret it. I wish I had had a more traditional college experience and like, oh, look, like I'm... I, I like this teacher, and like, oh, look, the quad's yeah. beautiful today. And I was just like, started trying to see how many games of Gears 3 I could get in before practice started. Oh, well, fair. No, I do. I have those thoughts a lot of just like, man, I had that like, awesome like, gender studies class with like, Nazi history, like how the not like how Hitler got in the Nazis going. Like, I'm just like, <sighs> oh, jeez, bro. <laughs> all these like fascinating classes, and I'm just yeah. like, yeah, but I just, I did other things. I know it's a podcast, and people can't see this, but. Those Hitler comments combined with that mustache you're trying to grow is Wait, a little I, worrying. I don't think I have it's a little worrying. My lip right now. What are you talking about? Exactly, but people don't know that, right? This is if you were yeah, politi- if you were a political science major, you would understand this. You tell your you tell everybody your opponent had sex with a pig, Smart. so they have to deny Smart. having sex with the pig. Wait, honest question right now, because I would respect. Yeah. Do I act because I haven't looked in the mirror this morning? No, no, like, no. I'm like, Do I have a dirt stash? Oh, now I feel bad. I made you feel insecure. No, no, about I wouldn't it. be embarrassed. No, I'm not no, seeing no, anybody no, in public no. today except you. I don't you care. Not, but it was uh, just like, huh? Do I? <laughs> no, no. I was just making Hitler. <laughs> anyway, joke. wow. Back to what I was saying. Yeah, I mean, next year's gonna be fascinating because I do not. Miles Brennan is not Joe Burrow. 
but I think he'll be fine. But it's going to be fascinating because you're probably going to have the same offense, and that receiving core next year, obviously you're losing Jefferson most likely. I, th- I assume he'll go pro. But that receiving core next year is going to be loaded. The weapons, and who knows if Clyde Wurzelaire will be back. But either way, you got John Emery, Tyron Davis-Price, whatever, whatever freshman they bring in. That in offensive line, you're going to bring quite a bit back on the offensive line. You're losing Damian Lewis, and I think Cushenberry is a good pro stock right now. So he, if he's smart, he'd probably go. But you're bringing everyone else back, <laughs> except McGee. Anyway, that the skill position on offense next year with the same offense is going to be scary. You're going and to aren't have, you bringing in great receivers too in this? Oh, next year's class? receiving class is absurd. Yeah. So you're going to have Jamar Chase and Terrace Marshall with on their third year after finally putting it all together. That's a scary one. They can't run. leave. No, they, 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 like, they physically are not allowed to leave. <laughs> then you got uh, thank you, Arcane NCAA rules. True. <laughs> and then you got Trey Palmer's taking a year of growth. I don't know where Devon, what position Devontae Lee will be playing next year, but he's back. I mean, Trey Palmer, I think, is somebody to really watch next year. You know, don't and then don't rule out like your Racy McMaths of the world. Those are good players, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then you have the prop I would say maybe the best receiving class in the country coming in, or Rakeem Jarrett, number nineteen player in the country. Jermaine Burton, who's, I think, number 43. Kayshawn Butte, number 49. And then you also got Coy Moore, who's a four-star a little further back. That receiving core is absurd next Damn. year. So, I mean, they're going to be eight deep at receiver. And obviously, it's tricky with what guys are ready to play right away. But, wow. Come on, buddy. Excuse me. Is it a good call? Uh, it was my wife and the old ball and chain. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Am I Am right, I guys? Right. No, Everybody knows how that goes. But seriously, is everything all right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, actually, it's great. We just figured out we're having a second daughter. Wait, I forgot to ask. I, yeah. Wait, I didn't know. In my defense, I texted you last night in all caps and said. Oh, did you? Yeah. I missed it. I, Dude, if you haven't noticed yet, I'm no, not exactly the best at checking I messages. picked up on that. I have over 150 unchecked text messages on my phone. That. And then you don't understand the rage. Okay, just, well then let's just. As, go as ahead a reporter and, whose like job is literally to be on his phone like ninety nine percent of the time, <laughs> that stresses me out. Let's so do it. Let's let's do a check. I have one thirty unchecked texts. I have three hundred and one voicemails. I have four thousand two hundred ninety one emails. I just. That's do, a you lot. Ever, do you ever worry like that? Like you miss something really cool or important? Like yeah. do you ever like wow that bill missed that bill for six? I've months. been trying to get better about the email because yes, I have run into those situations. This is me, me being like mad at you. That's obnoxious. Not no, doing that. Yeah, this no, no, no. no. Like, come yeah. on, man. Like, it cost me a month of health insurance one time what? in between jobs. It cost me uh, uh, like you know, like all of a sudden the water shuts out. Like what the hell, man? Oh, you forgot the email. Yeah. So yes, happened? I'm. I'm trying. Look, I'm trying to get better, Brody. We're always trying to improve. I'm like the Adrian McGee of life out here. I'm working on it. Okay, even I, I haven't played as well as Adrian has lately. Point being, I'm not very good at checking my text, but and I'm having a daughter. I guess that was the ultimate. Yeah, point. Yeah, wow. We're so congratulations. But yeah, congrats, man. I did try to text you and find out. That's all Thank I wanted you. to say. Well, it's but that's awesome, man. Care. Congrats. You can't name her T. Brody now. No, but no, unfortunately not. No, but no. Do you have any names in mind? Odette. Maybe. It's Ooh, a family that, name. I thought it was after Odell. Um, no. Oh, God damn it. If you just ruined Odette for me, I'm going to be very <laughs> pissed off at you. Uh, but no, so yeah, and I already have a daughter, Alice, so we're going to have two little two little baby girls, sisters, which I had two older sisters, so I really, I really, really love that. Um, this is exciting. Let's go celebrate. Hmm. You know who I would hour. love to date my daughter? Ew. Patrick Queen. <laughs> 
I don't know. I was, I was no, I'll go with no. I was just like processing it for a minute. Yeah, I, I actually kind of you know I approve. Okay, it's, okay. Here, here. Hey, best writing advice I ever got was write like Javi Baez swings, man. Just don't don't go for singles. <laughs> just shoot for the fe- like swing for the fences, man. Nobody's gonna remember a single strikeout or homer. That's that was point. a Javi Baez swing of a of a segue. That's like actually it. that's actually why I'm growing my hair, my beard out so crazy. A lot of people are like you look unpresentable. You look this or that. It's like. Bitch, there's 10,000 people out there with clean-cut haircuts <laughs> and, swings. and company polos. Like, no, I'm going to wear my Tommy Bahama Ellis shoes. I'm going to grow my hair out because it's fun. And I got Renaissance Fest coming up and Halloween. And when I tell you the potential with this hair-beard combo, it's top-notch for those two people things. People talking about it, yeah. Um, okay, so now. Uh, we talked about the, the wide receivers. It's going to be incredible this year, incredible next year. Real quick on Miles Brennan. Um, physically, you know he's going to have all the tools next year. Yeah. Just the thing that separates Burrow, and it always has been, are the intangibles. Yeah. I mean, the kid's 22 years old, and after the game, he's talking about, I told the team, don't let good stand in the way of great. Yeah. Like, are, you, are we kidding here? And even on top of, yeah. Is I mean, he already, like, how mature can you be? That's a good point. From a personality standpoint, Burrow's just a different kind of dude. You don't find those guys every day. You just don't. Like, you know, it's that Devin White kind of thing. Yeah, You, know, you just exactly. don't find those off. Exactly. But I'll, I would say the biggest difference, and this is not, I think Miles Brennan's gotten better at it, but... The way quarterbacks are judging these kind of offenses in 2019 are processing ability. Yep. How can you process information? How can you make the decision? Burrow decision is off the charts. And accuracy. <laughs> and Burrow gets and it's true with every A sport. plus marks in both regards. It's true with every sport. But but football, I think it's you know it's always been true of baseball. It's always been true of basketball, in my opinion. Football, I don't think it's always been maybe as much until like the last 10 years of quarterbacks. Okay, so because the defensive conversation is a bit deeper... And a bit more nuanced. Like, the offensive conversation is just like a masturbatory celebration of, like, all things that are good and right in the world. Like, there's no bad. Okay, sorry. How can we not mention Clyde edwards Lair? He yeah. continues to be great. He's the most underrated player. In he, I don't know yeah. why everybody's always trying to replace him. He continues to be great. He continues to dominate. People fall in love with potential. That's uh, all it is. That's true. That's, his what, vision, that's fundamentally is what it is. His vision, though, um, his ability to make guys miss... Uh, like some of those long runs, yes, they're well blocked, but he is what you always want as an alignment where you trust him to make you look good. If you put a body on your guy, he will make you right. And people also just kind of jump to like his ability to break tackles and like, you know, juke and spin. Yeah. He's hard to tackle from a physical point of view because he's yes. so low to the ground it's and he's thick and strong. It's like yeah, a little Emmett Smith type deal. I remember. I think it was. De- I don't I, want to evoke the name Emmett Smith, but you get what I'm yeah. saying. He's like five ten, five nine. I, I apologize. I forget who told me this, but Devin White told somebody that like around LSU, like Clyde's just so hard to tackle because you he's so low that he's going to get that leverage on you, but that he's just going to keep his legs moving and it's hard to bring him down. Like he's small, you think he's easy, but it's not. He's he's been the. He's eighth on the people who are going to get recognition for how well they're playing this year, but I'd argue he's probably the third or fourth best, you know, most effective players on this offense. Right? Yeah, no, I mean, on, I, on this show at least, HTPP, we have consistently described him as one of the main engines behind this offense, and I think that remains true. So he is tiny. Um, Tyrion Davis Price, not so much. Is not not really small. Uh, TDP. Looked really damn good as well, though. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's a great moment for him in a game that matters. Um, was a thirty-three yard touchdown. 33. And what's- Tiger Stadium going crazy. I mean, it was just to be eighteen years old and to have that happen. He has to just be on cloud nine. And also, like we, well, the one thing that was clear about him, right, was like, man, that guy is hard to bring down. He's great at going forward progress. He he's really good at taking the yards that are there and never trying to make too much. You know, but. 
But like no one's ever thought of him as somebody with much burst because he's never. Yeah. And for him to break just a straight ahead thirty three yard run where he beats the guys downfield, that was probably a good moment for him to kind of show whatever. And by the way, quick segue, real quick. Yeah, come on. <laughs> on top of that, because we're, we're talking about all the things of the offensive yeah, line. You on. mentioned Thad Moss. I think all, the receivers have been blocking really oh. well because that's. I mean, Stephon Sullivan gets going to get the credit for that block downfield and that Davis Price touchdown. I mean, he was dragging a corner forty yards, thirty yards downfield. I but can't like, you tweet about it or wrote about it, but <laughs> that is one of that is a uh, a basic football truth that I don't think the general public always recognizes is uh, the vast majority of the time if you have a long touchdown run. The receivers kicked ass yep. blocking wise. Uh, they are the key to making like the twelve yard run into the touchdown. Run. And Justin Jefferson's a sneaky good blocker. Like he's not going to manhandle somebody, but I've noticed some good blocks. That's about getting people to buy in. That's about like to me, wide receiver blocking is really just about uh, getting because a lot of receivers just don't want to do it or they don't want to spend the time practicing it and. The 03, for some reason, I was a little kid. The 03 LSU Natty team with Michael Clayton was really yeah. good at it. Like, I just remember seeing a Sports Center segment that stuck with me my entire life. And Jarvis Landry uh, comes to mind, too. Jarvis, yes, exactly. And those are some grinders. But it seems like it's across the board this time around that uh, that everybody is, is getting involved. And, and shout out to a guy like Stephon Sullivan, who maybe isn't getting the statistical production that he wanted but he's still fully bought into the concept where he's not pouting he's going out there and he's like i'm gonna block this guy's ass off and it leads to the big touchdown yeah and he's also get also i think there's probably something to be said for having him out on the edge like that gives a threat people have to worry about that six seven deep threat and it's opened things up for other people and then in turn will probably open up for him if he still gets more time well the real question there is though how far is tattoo far and how would you answer that what what was on the tattoo was I know it was a it toilet was but it was a, like a, it's Devon Sullivan on uh, tattooed a giant to what, toilet. But what did it say on his it? shoulder? It remember. said "You're dumped." Yeah, or it said "Dumped." Maybe had a little YouTube play symbol because I guess she's a YouTuber. By the way, oh my! Did you saw on the teleconference last week? Jock just said, <laughs> "No, he asked." He asked O oh, about. He's like, "Have you seen Stephon Sullivan's commercial? I mean, uh, YouTube, you know, video about the tattoos." And I was just like, "Oh, I haven't seen it. I hope he did well." <laughs> and I texted somebody, you know, close to, to us, and I'm like, "You gonna show it to him?" And he's like, "No, I'm not showing it to him." <laughs> no, Stefan may never play again if, 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 <laughs> if, if, if the was, coaches see that an, yeah. see that video. Anyway, uh, so you were about to get started on something about how the defense, the whole conversation's nuanced, but it looks like you were headed toward. Well, in case, real quick, in case people don't know what we're talking about. Just go on Twitter and find the clip of Stefan Sullivan on Stephon how far Sullivan is Ted too far. It's a sign of the apocalypse. It's a sign of the dark dystopian future that we are already living in. Oh, did we? Yeah. I can't get it out of my head. It's 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 no, great. It's, it's, yeah, it's there. It has on. Um, I showed like ton of people at this weekend. All right. Yeah. So let's talk about the defense then, because this is a nuanced conversation. Um, people ready to uh, fire Dave Aranda burn down the building, rip up his contract? How in the world could you get paid $2.5 million and let Kyle Trask go 75 yards on you, four out of five possessions? Um, And then that is juxtaposed with seven second-half points, really utter and complete domination after that opening drive of the second half, uh, forcing uh, turnovers in big situations, uh, at the very end of the game, winning the fourth down play to close it out, having a penalty, questionable penalty, 
uh, erase that win and then still standing up and closing out, not even allowing for the onside kick bad beat. So so really, Brody, this this defensive conversation is odd to me because it truly is a tale of two two halves or like they're they're just two completely different stories. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know. I think you pointed out to me before the show. I think a lot of things that they they didn't you know they were playing some things scheme wise that you know Florida just they didn't expect Florida to have success against. So then once they saw that happen, they adjusted and it worked. So that is the thing, and everybody in in and, and this is one of the few times where I've seen this happen where it seemed like the adjustments that needed to be made were what the majority of people were yelling about on Twitter. Uh, a lot of people saying, why are we standing back and playing zone oh, and yeah, only rushing yeah. three or only rushing four, and we need to add guys to the rush? And, well, when LSU started playing cover one, manning up and adding more bodies to the rush, like they started shutting Trask down. And yeah. so that was just odd to me because normally what the majority is yelling about on Twitter, I'll have a counter-argument to I'm like, that's not actually that smart, but it was kind of justified in this right. situation. I'm curious, like how much of the the playing zone has to also do with like I think you might need that against Alabama. I have been wondering that same. Exact I don't know if you can play thing. man against Alabama. Yeah, I know. I just don't know, especially know. their ability to slant all that. I mean, so I wonder. If you you just, at least be, have to be able to play a mixture against yeah. Alabama, and and with two, you got a running quarterback. So you, so, you, so you have to be aware. Like so, zone is better for running quarterbacks. So I don't blame them for continuing to kind of work on it because at this point we know they play man pretty well. But it, but it's almost like how far do you push that? And and, yeah. and so or but maybe just but this down. is also yeah. but this is also where I'm kind of at war with myself because. I agree. Like it makes sense if you're preparing. If you're like, we got to get good at this in games because we're going to need it. Um, but do coaches really do that when there's a game of the Florida magnitude there? Because in theory, there is no better time to actually test yourself than against a game of that magnitude. But also, are you exposing yourself to kind of some absurd risk given what was at stake? Well, also, I just. I don't. I mean, you, you know, you, you said this as well. I don't think they expected Trask to be able to do it. So that is that is. Amazing so I don't point. think this was a pure just like gambling with the defense. That's true. I think they just thought Trask would make mistakes. That's like true. It's like a two birds one stone situation. Yeah, yeah. So so that is fair. I was at that building yesterday talking to some people and asking them why they were. You know that question. Why were you playing so much zone at first? And and I, I, and this is where you have to remember that football is not a one sided affair. Uh, we can be very egotistical when you cover just one team like we do. Yeah. Um, but they thought that Trask, if they played coverage, they thought he would screw up. They thought he would throw picks, and he did anything but. He was dominant, accurate, finding hole in zone, running on one leg, tough. He was threading some needles. Man. Um, so Kyle Trask was great. Uh, uh, but, but then, of course, when they started adding to the rush, they started getting to him a bit. And one thing you really saw this week that's shown, in my opinion, you finally have a fully healthy defensive line that has a legitimate rotation. And so instead of being tired at the end of the game, this was a defensive group that despite being on the pl- game, okay, th- okay, this this made my overall main good takeaway with the defense. Yeah. I think you saw some real and clear points of growth. Look yeah. at that Texas game. You have a 19-play drive that we said was like a knockout punch that that defense never recovered from. Well, this game... You had four or five drives and went 75 yards. Three of those went over 10 plays. The other one was nine plays. That is a potential knockout punch right there. You're on the field for 84 plays overall, 40 minutes of possession versus like 20 minutes, whatever it was. Um, That all is a terrible recipe for how you should be playing going into the fourth quarter. And yet, 
instead of reeling like you did against Texas, you saw this defense only get better as the game went on. So first off, that's a credit to the defense with mental toughness, physical toughness, whatever. I also think it is just because of the actual rotation that they have now. The linebackers, the D-line, they're too deep, even three deep at some places. And I talked to Braden Fajoko about it yesterday, but it's really helping them into the fourth quarter with fresh legs. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, it's it's almost every layer except the secondary. Secondary, they actually don't have any depth. No, no. (laughs) So it's very much worth noting. No, Jay Ward played. Jay Ward played, like, decent time. Yeah, so when the Alabama game comes, that's going to be the story, I think, is what those receivers might be able to do. But anyway, yeah, on the defensive line, I mean, is it a stretch to say there are seven guys you feel confident about there? Let's count them off. Let's go with the nose. You got Shelvin and Apuaika. Apuaika looked pretty good, by the way. He's really come a long way now. He's a little healthier. On, on, then you got Glenn Logan and Richard Lawrence. Those are your two general base starters when they're healthy. Then that's that's four. Then you got Neil Farrell and Braden Fajoko. They've started the last few weeks and have looked fantastic. Neil Farrell looks like a stud. Yeah. And then you got Justin Thomas, who's been the surprising name. That he's a great. Pa- he's a great third on. down pass rusher. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's seven, seven. right? That's all you need. And. That's about it, but still, that's that's a lot. But uh, I'm saying no, that's great. I'm saying no, that's. I mean, if if you have seven legitimate guys that you feel comfortable putting in there in any game situation, uh, that's 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 nearly three deep. You're kind of two and a half deep at that point. Three deep's absurd. You'll never actually be like the Alabama line of like. I think it was like 14 or 15 was three deep, and it was stupid. That was a Jonathan Allen line. If you're two and a half deep, that's all you need to go late into the fourth. And then even linebacker, you saw now, Michael, you got. Uh, Damone Clark and Micah Baskerville rotating in, for, rotating in for Queen and Phillips. Baskerville, I was surprised he was playing. I mean, three weeks ago, I would have said he's last on the depth chart and really not going to play. But he was first last year, which like, is fascinating. We, which we can't which forget. Which I think was more just Clark. They knew Clark was going to be a star. Clark just football, like IQ wise, wasn't ready. Yeah. And Baskerville is just the one you can kind of trust. But I don't think he has some of the physical tools other have. But I, so I'm, I'm, it's fun to break. I asked Jacob Phillips because I'm like, hey, like none of us like. The average person, like we, you know, I know that Phillips is the hardest hitter. I know that Davini's the pass rusher. I know that Queen's freaky fast. All those things. Like Damone's a freak athlete. What's like Baskerville's thing? And he's like, he's just like this ball hawk. Like he just has this like eye for the ball, and that's kind of his thing. So that's worth following. But yeah, to be able to rotate and trust those guys, that mattered. And then we we're curious what's going to happen with with Divinity. You know, like yeah. what's his role? One, we saw them play much more, you know, base personnel, two outside linebackers this week. That was. That was a change that I didn't expect. So yep. saw more of that. And then... You're saying instead of Jacoby Stevens, uh, always, even though he was on the outside as well a lot, uh, yeah. they, they did just play a lot of more than Davidian they did. chess yeah. on, on both edges. And then now you have a rotation of legitimately top of half of the SEC pass rushers and outside, outside linebacker of Chase on and, and Divinity. All of a sudden, you have a lot of depth in that front seven. That's 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 huge. Yeah, and... If and, you're going to play this fast. And Brady uh, Foco said that post game. He said, he's like... All of a sudden, you know, he basically, what he answered was basically admitting that they did have to worry about the offensive speed before. And he's yeah. like, we don't have to worry about offensive tempo anymore because we can rotate. Yeah. Um, I, out of that linebacking crew, man, uh, I came away. It was kind of a quiet day for everybody in the D-line. Um, obviously, Caleb, not for Caleb on chess on. He was great. Let's see. Let's go there then because that's a guy that we really highlighted before as a guy who – this is your moment to step up in mobile quarterback. They're going to give you opportunities. National TV, what did Kalamon do? Led the team with eight tackles. 
three TFLs and a sack. The holding penalty that he forced completely ruined all of Florida's momentum. In my opinion, one of the big turning points in the entire game. It took away a 20-yard gain, made it into first and 20. And uh, Florida was playing so over their skis, first and 20 was probably never going to work out for them. Um, So Calevon was was spectacular. Uh, Another guy who was spectacular was Patrick Queen. Yeah, I mean, he's... He's been kind of the quiet breakout star of the season. I mean, a few weeks ago, he didn't earn the starting job, and he was kind of the odd man out in that rotation. Even Damone Clark was playing ahead of him. And now he looks like the best inside linebacker. He's the guy, you know, we were talking about before the show, I mean, he's the guy who's calling things out now. And that's kind of why you moved Divinity there mm-hmm. last year, is because you needed, some, or the spring, you need that guy to be the lead communicator. Well, the story goes that Patrick Queen, like before that last play at the goal line, was calling out speed option, speed option. And uh, I think it was he was also telling me that, like, you know, there, some of the other speed options they ran, some other place, he'd be on the sideline like he wasn't in, and he'd just be like freaking out trying to tell them. Um, yeah, that's huge. And that's we, great recognition though from Queen, and it wasn't just that final play. No. Uh, some of the stuff I've been watching, I've seen him quite a few plays uh, pointing to holes where the ball ends up going immediately, calling out power or or bumping a linebacker over to get a line correctly. It seems like. As physically impressive as Patrick Queen is, and he is a stud. He's very fast. The side-to-side speed is excellent. Um, but mentally, he's really taking that next step. And, and 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 I wonder I wonder how much of it can be attributed to training in that walkthrough room. I'm not saying all of it, but like definitely there is, in my opinion, probably a uh, a clear connection between the success of identifying those formations and LSU's defense being able to line up in a walkthrough room where you can really see, uh, huh. you, you can really zero in on formations and motions and what they like to do out of these sets to where instead of thinking like, you know, when you see it on paper sometimes, it's like, okay, well, well you know, when they, when they come out and they're in two tights and this happens versus just like instant visual recognition of, oh, I know when they do this, that X amount of time they do this. And so you saw that paid dividends. For Crean, and that's just food for thought. Those new facilities, maybe. Yeah, no one uses that nice more impact. than Aranda's inside linebackers. They're the ones who use it most. So. I don't know that the LSU offense has even got a chance to use it yet. Well, we asked Burrow about it in August, and he was like, yeah, we don't really use that. <laughs> yeah, no, so, I, I, from what I've heard, it's well, literally Well, then we jokingly defense. asked about Steve Hensbinger using it. Like, <laughs> the joke was basically, do you think Steve Hensbinger's using that technology? Nah, nah, but, nah. <laughs> no, I is, would love to see a video of Steve Hensbinger with a virtual reality helmet <laughs> on his head. That would be just... Spectacular. Well, Patrick Queen's one thing that's worth pointing out is he does miss tackles. Like, for example, there were s- several tackles at the line of scrimmage where they yeah. stuffed a run, and P. Ryan, who deserves a. P. Ryan had it. P. Ryan's stats did not look good. I think he was in like under four yards per carry. But P. Ryan had a day against LSU. LSU could not bring him down. They would, yeah. they would stuff him at the line every time, make two guys miss, cut up field for three or four yards. There's definitely a big one early on where Queen <laughs> had him. And- yeah, Queen missed, I think, at least two. So, I mean, that's the only thing, because, you know, we're a little rah-rah right now because things are so good with LSU. So, I got to say the bad, too. Yeah, great. You're like Jim Irsay when he came in hammered after that playoff game Please last year. And he's Jim like, Irsay. I really appreciate guys, that. Guys, guys, I, I mean, couldn't we score, like, 21, First 28? First half-decent Irsay impression. And he said, I, I can't help it. I'm just a rainmaker. <laughs> that's what you sound like right if now. If you ever buddy. compare me to Jim Irsay again, I will. I will, uh. One thing about hanging out with Ursay, he's always going to have some fun pills. You got any fun pills? Wow, now we're making 
Addiction jokes? So you don't <laughs> even have the good parts of Jim Mercy. Unbelievable. Just the rain-making parts. Um, so Patrick Queen sucks, according to Brody. Jesus um, No, in all seriousness, though. But, but look, the defense wasn't great for a lot of that yeah, game. And, they were getting run over. Mullen was out scheming around. That is one thing I should point out, though. I do feel... While uh, they had that one driver, they really went after Stingley, and I love his response the next, you know, coming back and making the big play. But they had the driver, they really go after Stingley. It's mainly, the first time you've ever seen him look human. Yeah. Mainly, I they felt like, though, that was a schematic success over Florida just killing guys one on one. Now, Pitts, Pitts maybe calls that into question because Pitts, the, the big tight end, number 84, was just kind of going down the line at one point and just beating whoever they were putting on him. Um, but, but I mean, Dan Mullen was putting his his guys in some some excellent positions to succeed. And then when you saw the schematic changes from LSU, obviously the, the results were just totally, totally different. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you still, you still well, have. What do you think with that question? Was it more schematic or was it more uh, guys losing one-on-ones? I mean, overall, it was schematic. I would just say with Stingley, it looked like Stingley was actually just getting beat. You know, like yeah, yeah, everything else, especially. I would probably agree. Yeah, I think it was, you know, they knew exactly how to find room for pits. They knew exactly how to mold as good as anyone in the country at finding mismatches and knowing exactly how to exploit them. Overall, I'd say scheme. Yeah, that was him having a good, a good game against Aranda. The st- that, that two drives where Stingley really struggled, I think that was Stingley just getting beat by, uh, forgive me, was it Van Jefferson? Um, I think so. Yeah, sorry. I think so. I don't but know. But yeah, I mean, so I think there's a little bit of both, but Stingley responded and dominated down the stretch, and he's an 18-year-old. He's made his first few errors, but so. Anyway. Yeah, so Derek Stingley now. First team All-American now. Has, yeah, according to The Athletic. Mid-season All-American. Um, Derek Stingley, though, has, uh, what was it? He has, uh, three interceptions, which is second in the SEC. It's also kind of crazy to argue at three. He has nine pass breakups, and he has 12 passes defended. Both those stats lead the SEC. This is a cat who's 18 years old and six games into his career. Um, here's the interesting thing, though, Brody. We kind of talked about it before the show. Uh, how do you interpret that when you factor in the Christian-Fulton relationship? Does that mean that yeah. Christian-Fulton is even better and so teams are just completely avoiding him, and they're trying to attack the the freshman, thinking that they can get some. Or is it just kind of how it's worked out? I, look, I'm of the opinion that when you look at who they're attacking and who they're avoiding, ultimately the guy they're avoiding is the true alpha alpha. So Stingley is incredible, and and don't get me wrong, like people are going to probably stop attacking him and start attacking Fulton more. But obviously. I just don't want Christian Fulton to get lost in the shuffle because teams are avoiding him for a reason. Well, just uh, you know, is it, my question back would be because I assume that's probably overall the answer. But do you think teams are attacking Stingley because they're open, or just because they see an eighteen-year-old and they're like, "Let's attack that"? Because I don't think it's always necessarily like, "Well, you know, Fulton's locking them down and Stingley's not." That's why they're going there. You know, I, but they haven't been open the majority of the year when, when teams have been going after him, have they? And I mean, that, I know they, had, they, they had the one drive. That's my point, is that I don't think it's like a thing where they're attacking Stingley because Fulton's guy's more locked up. It's, I don't think it's necessarily that. I think they're saying, let's attack an 18-year-old. Oh, Do you see oh, what I'm saying? Oh, okay. I don't think it's purely yeah, like Fulton's yeah, out yeah, covering yeah, it, which I'm not yeah. saying he isn't. I, I'm not smart enough of a corner guy to know. But, but my point is, but also, though, you arrive at that conclusion through film study, right? Yeah. And so if you were watching film... Uh, and you're not watching film with, like, 
it's an element in there, but you're not like, I don't care how they play this guy's 18, this guy's whatever. They're watching film, they're seeing what Fulton's doing, they're seeing what Stingley's doing, and then in the game plan, they're going after Stingley. So, I mean, I don't know. It's impossible yeah. to know outside looking I don't know in. Either. I still think. I, yeah, yeah, overall but, answer, I think Fulton is playing really well. I Well, just look at, look, look, you've seen this rhythm at LSU where yeah. people attacked Greedy because they were afraid of Dante Jackson. The next season, when Greedy was the alpha, all of a sudden uh, they're attacking Christian Fulton because because they didn't want to attack Greedy, and so now you're seeing Fulton being completely avoided in relation and, to Sting. The next so, year will probably be Elias Ricks. CB, yeah, yeah. I mean, there you go. Exactly. Um, CB one Christian Fulton doing very good, and then obviously Derek Stingley's just putting up gaudy numbers. And, and at, at some point, a team's going to have to be like, you know what, we have to try against Fulton because Derek Stingley's making too many people pay too often. Yep. And the overall thing is where are they attacking most? They know most most teams haven't been attacking the outside much. You know, obviously that's, at times yes, they're attacking the middle true. of the field, which we've talked about in depth here. But that's where people have had success against LSU. I think Stevens has improved quite a bit in coverage, but still, like you know. You can you can, that's generally a mismatch with a good receiver. Yeah, and Kerry Vincent had an okay day. Yeah. Um, Vincent's looked fine. Yeah, just, he, he had a solid day. You if know, you're picking where you're going to go, though, one or two plays, maybe. Yeah, you're going to go over the middle, especially when they're in that zone. Um, so I think I think both Stingley and Fulton have just been absolutely spectacular. And Stingley coming up after getting dominated like that in that one drive, and then coming up and he's a robot, the, the, the getting the pick in the end zone to kind of seal the game on or to set up, I would say, to set up the nail in the coffin. It was um, what a moment for him, just just crazy. Something to highlight on that drive. Saturday morning, I was hanging out with my buddy Will Blackwell, and he was uh, he was saying how he's like, you know what, man, something that co- co- coaches don't do enough. Uh, is take a momentum timeout, like a basketball timeout, yeah. where you're like getting run, you know, you just you're on your heels, everything's working against you. Let's just take a deep breath, kind of reset the stage. And I told him I thought he was crazy. I was like, Well the no, difference no, no, no. is timeouts in football are just so valuable. No, exactly. And that was my argument. Sorry. That was my no no, exactly. That was no, but see, so your instincts went the same way I did. That yeah. was my argument. It was but like I- in basketball you got seven timeouts, in football you got three uh, think back to the Saints against the Texans, how having that one time out of the end opens up the entire field to attack. Think about, uh, we saw it in an LSU game sometime, maybe it was Florida. Either way, we've seen the value of timeouts. If you watch football, you know it. So that was my argument. I was like, no, dude, they're way too valuable to be wasting on that. Well, <laughs> when Florida was going to make it 35-35, they had LSU on their heels. And what did Coach O do? He called timeout, kind of reset things. Couple plays later, LSU's in control. Third down, Stingley gets the pick. Bam, ball game. So, like, it was kind of interesting to me for me to shout down this idea of the momentum timeout only for the momentum timeout to work out perfectly later that same day. Also, probably, I'm. I'd love to. He would never answer this honestly, but I'd love to know like if the timeout almost allowed Mullen to outsmart himself. Because now I'm not somebody. Mullen who, had a couple of those moments this game. It felt like. Yeah, Mullen's big problem is that Mullen. I, I mean, never mind. I might be gonna finish this, but Mullen thinks he's very smart. Uh, yeah. Oh, you can tell Dan Mullen loves some Dan Mullen. Yeah, he does. Dude. I mean, I don't. I think if you actually said that to him, he'd probably be like, "Damn right, I do." Yeah. But. No, he's an alpha. Yes. Like he at SC Media Days, he is one of the most comfortable coaches. Up in front yeah. of that room, like which is he why he's one of my not, favorites. I love his kind of characters. Damn, his his offense is one of my favorite types of offense where it's like a power spread. Anyway, um, yeah, no, that third and one. I'm not one of those people who likes somebody who like 
I don't like criticizing that call because listen, third and one, everyone's expecting run play action is what's going to be open there. Yeah, like, I'm not criticizing that, but it did kind of lead to maybe outsmarting himself. And then Bashard gets the pressure, and then you know he throws a pick. So. That is like though. That is like it's like an always hit on sixteen thing, right? You got to have your philosophy and. You got to be willing to engage with it. You got to accept that not all your third and one play actions are going to work out, yeah. but like, but like, you still have to be willing to take that job. But whatever, I mean, whatever. That's just all of coaching. It's like a delicate risk versus reward balancing act. And in that particular instance, though the logic behind the call was sound, um, he got stung. And I, that's that's one of those moments I really wish we could talk to Dave Aranda. Because I'd love to ask him, like, all right, what were you thinking on that third and one? Yeah, like if they thought they were going to do a play action, well, if they we, thought they were going to run. And Ed would have also had an answer, but I just we should we should have asked Ed. Maybe, we but I'm just I'd idea, just guys. That. Yeah, we just arrived at a little too late. Um, Marcel Brooks, real quick, what do you think? Yeah, no, that's a great great point. Um, I mean, Marcel Brooks one was fast. Speaking of pass rush, nope. You he, mentioned Divinity and Caleb on the outside. It looks like Marcel Brooks may become a problem as this season goes on. Marcel Brooks one of the most fascinating players in this entire roster because, I mean, when you come coming into this 2019 class when they were arriving on campus, I mean, you knew Stingley was number one, but I would say just from an overall, from you talk to people on the staff, everything. I'd say Marcel Brooks. I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting somebody, but I'd say he's number two yeah. on what they expected to be an impact guy. And the idea now that what was interesting, and I didn't know this was because he moved to safety, and the idea was you know he could be a Steve, uh, Jacoby Stevens, Grant Delpit type quarter. So Jordy has a great story about that, where I think he kind of told the coaches well, that's like. What Ed- Okay, yeah. Ed yeah. Ojean told us that Monday. I'm sorry, I would love to hear Jordy's version too. But yeah, Ed Ojean did tell us Monday. What? Sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Not every day after work. Uh, but yeah, no. He said I wanted to compete for that that third safety spot. That ended up going to Todd Harris. He wanted to compete for that starting spot. That's why he went to safety. But the staff always knew like this guy's an outside linebacker. Yeah, uh, Jordy's story is like I guess during practice one day he heard it through the grapevine, but. Marcel's kind of talking about, you know, I should play safety. Like, I can do everything Grant's doing, blah, blah, blah. So they put him back there, and I think Burrow, like, burned him, like, 12 times in a row or something. Like, just, like, 12 completions in a row, and they're kind of like, oh, like, you know, it's this isn't high school anymore. Uh, he, he's not a great coverage. He's not a great coverage player. I mean, No, but he has all the physical skill free, sets to be a good pass Hooker rusher. Said yesterday, he's more, he said, Caleb won't like admitting this, but... Marcel's more of a freak than Caleb. Damn. Which is, I, I mean, that is ridiculous praise. What did you think about his dance? Jacoby Stevens thought I, it was pretty I'm dumb. Allowed, I thought it was actually really funny yeah. charming, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But everyone else hated it. So. Well, I don't mean from like a, like a, you're going to get a penalty standpoint. Yeah, no, so I, don't I, give, I, was, I don't give a damn about all that. Like, I what did you think it, about the actual yeah, dance that's what itself? I'm saying. I thought it was like a charming, funny moment. Yeah. Okay, I, I'm, I, I think th- I'm inclined to agree. Yeah, like, I'm, like, the, I think it was like ironically. Like I don't think he walked in the mirror and was like, "This is a good dance move." I think, it was kind of like, I think there was a sense of humor to it, you know. Like he seems uh, like a pretty like. Out I there. don't know though, dude. You have that thing locked. You have that thing loaded up in the barrel. That was not a freestyle dance, yeah, in my yeah. opinion. What's, like, no, I know I agree. That's what I'm saying. I think he's a he's a pretty funny guy. I think he has like a sense of humor. You know, maybe it. that's like kind but, of his funny locker room dance. What, but then that would also say. A ridiculous amount about like his presence of mind that his first career sack, biggest <laughs> moment of his life thus far, and he's like, you know what I'm doing? This funny, goofy dance. That, maybe that's his like. Maybe that that's like his signature thing in practice. I, I love how oh, I asked O about uh, yeah what he said to him because that's always a delicate thing to me. If you're a coach, how do you balance? Because you need because like that was borderline where uh, the the wrong ref will throw a flag on that. Like thank God these refs really would, like let it play out, but the wrong ref will be dumb and get involved there. Um, 
So if you're a head coach, how do you, what's the balancing act there? Like, how do you let a guy enjoy the moment? I mean, it's the first play he's ever made. How do you let him enjoy that without? I think he can handle it right. Where it was like, you let him do it, but then when he came off, he's like, dude. Getting like, stop. You know, like. um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. I don't but, either. I've never been a head coach. It's just funny to think about. But, uh, but shout no, out but to the, the thing with Marcel Brooks. Great game. Yeah. Well, the thing with him is like I was just gonna say like the staff has always thought he was an outside linebacker. Now he's a thin one. He's only about two hundred. Needs to gain a lot of weight. And I'm curious what happens there in the coming years. But I mean, he is a absolute freak. And he was like, there's a reason he was a five star prospect. I mean, yeah. And he's just got kind of that. I use this term like in a in a positive way. He's got that like crazy kind of, he's kind of like a crazy person on the field. Like he is one of those people who just like wants to go crazy and hurt some like hit somebody. Yeah. So he ha- that, that's a good thing to have on third down. And it's, it, it, it's for especially for a young player. We talked about that on off the bench this morning. Um, when you have somebody that is such a raw physical talent, a lot of times the barrier of entry to getting on the field is the mental portion. So if you can narrow that, if you can give him a little vertical slice. Uh, there are stories of him like in high school, like like what? I don't I don't know if fights are the right word, but you know he's somebody who would like get after it. In oh, high school good, games. yes, and I love that dude. Whatever, if you're going to be a defender, especially you got to be like little hair on fire crazy. He's, he's, uh, yeah. But but if you can just give a raw physical talent like that a vertical slice, such as hey, it's third down, rush the passer. Like that's all you have to worry about is get a move in your head, get your plan of attack ready, and go sack the quarterback. That's how you truly have that guy at a young age have an impact. And then when he gets older, he learns mentally, and then he becomes an every-down player. He's probably great. starting out to linebacker next year if he gains weight. Yeah, and, and so and so, uh, I, I, I think you're only going to see him have more and more impact this year on those third-down He's only been playing outside linebacker full-time for three weeks. All right, last thing, because you wanted to end on something uh, negative. Um <laughs> I don't even know where this is going. Do you, do you have anything else besides offensive defense no, that we even touched on? No. I feel like we ran the gamut here. Yeah, we did great. Um, should we be worried about Cade York? I, here's the deal. How long was the Cade Here's the deal. It's like 43 yards, I think. Yeah. I know that the the numbers are great to his favor. They're 7-9 on field goals. It's great. Um, I think like 40 of 41 or something like that on extra points. It doesn't matter. You know, He's only missed one extra points. But if you, if you zoom in a little bit further... Um, the extra points at times have been a little sketchy lately. He hasn't had to kick any big field goals. And on the TV broadcast, you hear Herb Street talking about how before the game he was really struggling, missing them left, and then sure enough, first kick, he misses pretty badly left. No, it's it's definitely worth bringing up. I mean, he's he's a he's an 18-year-old, right? I yeah. mean, that that was the, th- the whole story going into the fall and you know, I wrote and, a, and to his credit, he made the big ones. Like his only big kicks of the year against Texas, he made all of them. So But yeah, I mean, you know, kickers is so mental. It's entirely yeah. mental. And I I wrote a story going into this August that was basically entirely about can this 18-year-old mentally be ready? And you know, everyone around him thought he could, but you never know until you're in Tiger Stadium. Kate Cole Tracy had a great line about that. He's like, "Yeah, you just don't know until you're in Tiger Stadium. There's no yeah. one knows." And I mean, I think overall he's a talented kicker, and but yeah, he's probably having a little bit of that. And now all of a sudden he's probably in his head a little bit because you know, like you said, it was getting a little shaky. And all of a sudden now he's trying to fix it. We talked to Zach von Rosenberg, and he was saying, you know, he is somebody who has a very, you know, K. York does is a very specific process of how he wants to be out there, and like, you know, Zach von Rosenberg's almost at times had to tell him when there was like a timeout before a kick, like go off, go on the sideline, then redo your routine. No, there's a lot of like. Yeah finicky like kind of like you got to f- get that right so i 
I'm not saying worry yet, but keep an eye on pretty close. It's something to watch going forward. You know, look, the Alabama game, that could come down to a field goal. Yeah. Things like in Tuscaloosa and Brian Denny. Like, I, I almost need LSU to be a little less effective in the red zone. <laughs> so that KJ. Hey, have you ever considered uh, <laughs> halting the offense around the 30 to see what your kicker's got? Yeah. Uh, okay. So since Birdie wanted to end it on a negative, I'll end it on a positive. Um, LSU right now is one of three teams in the nation that have scored on 100% of their trips to the red zone. Uh, they are 34 for 34. Iowa and Notre Dame are the other two teams. Notre Dame's only been there 22 times. Iowa's only been there 20 times. Also, LSU has scored touchdowns on 29 of those 34 trips. Last year, they were good at always scoring, but they were about 50% on touchdowns. So, massive, massive. And they were just playing the number one red zone defense in the country. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's and, right. And still had... That was supposed to be Florida's like calling card. was like, bend but don't break. Yeah, and I don't have the number off the top of my head, but I think, what, like four, three of their touchdowns were in the red zone on Saturday? So, 42 I mean, points, 48 plays. Yeah. Against that defense. Unreal. No, but that's definitely, I mean, that's a that's a big deal. And I, uh, who was it? Jamar Chase had some great things to say about it last week that I found fascinating about the ways they attacked it. And they would basically, you know, in practice, basically drop eight guys into coverage. Because the whole thing find was, the holes. Yeah. And I never, once I heard that, I started looking back at the Texas game. Remember those red zone touchdowns Burrow was throwing against Texas yeah. where it was like triple coverage? And you're like, yeah. why is he throwing in there? Because I think the biggest change is philosophy. It's that. They were getting cute in the red zone because one, they knew they had Cole Tracy and all They're that. They're trying to set up for the sure thing. You gotta, you gotta rely on a guy to make a play that be able to put it in a window. It's yeah. tight in the red zone. You have to have a quarterback that can put it in the tight windows, or you're never gonna have success there. So I do find that fascinating. The work that actually went into improving that. And one Texas one where he looks off the safety for just like half a second, just to create enough of a gap to get it into. Well, the Jefferson. best part about that Texas one you're mentioning is that the play before should have been an interception in the triple cut. Like, yeah, he tried to throw a ball in even tighter coverage, and I'm like. In, any other quarterback on earth, he'd be like, lesson learned. Don't do that again. Yeah. Next play, Burrow goes to the exact same kind of window. And I was like, that, and that speaks to the intangibles. That tells you a lot about just like him as a guy. But yeah. yeah. Uh, don't let good stand in the way great. Boo. It's a message that we try to live by every day. Uh, how do you feel about Wikipedia? I mean, I think it's more reliable than it used to be. Why? Okay. Per Wikipedia. Though the term democracy is typically used in the context of a political state, The principles are also applicable to private organizations. There are many decision-making methods in democracies, but majority rule is the dominant form. I'm not a political science major like yourself, but as a general studies major, Brody, I would say that my call for a vote, uh, I can't remember what we were voting on. but wrong. A, You just like proved a, yourself wrong. A, no way. A Twitter poll is democracy. <laughs> no, because even the example you use that doesn't have to be government. It's like it's still about like making a decision about something for an entity, for like a, an organization or anything. Oh, that, it's not just no, like, hey, what do no, you guys think? No, no. Well, It is a decision-making <laughs> method. Yes. There is no a Twitter poll. There's no decision ma- being made. It's just what do you think? It's an opinion. It's a decision on that opinion. That is not what's happening. Yes, it is. It's a decision. <laughs> if I on make a Twitter opinion. poll right now that says like, do you guys prefer tacos or popcorn? I yes. don't know why those are the two I went to. Those okay. are my two favorite things. But, I would answer <laughs> tacos. It's a little more substantial. That is not now. If I said now, it'd be a different thing if I specifically said like, guys, what am I getting for lunch? Tacos or pizza? Yeah. That might, I would maybe, yeah, I'd say that's democracy. But if I, most Twitter polls are not that. Most are saying, like, what do you guys prefer? What do you think? That is not democracy. Majority that is just like, rule, what does the world think? Majority that's a poll. Like, rule is the dominant form. Democracy is letting the majority decide. Oh, you're trying to lawyer this. The democracy is letting the majority decide an opinion, a decision. It can be anything. 
It's about making a decision. I know what you're saying, like majority rules, but yeah, I'm saying like if 75% of people say popcorn's better, like that, there's no like. Nothing. What if you get popcorn next time? Because of the opinion that, that has been no stated by the masses. Okay, that's like saying that if democracy was like, I don't know, I don't, I can't even think of a good example. But if it was just like 70% of people voted about something, but it was still up to us to be like, yeah, but I don't know if we want to do it. Like I don't know. I mean, that is. I mean, that's not you know. It's, it's not entirely unlike how it's been sometimes uh, around here. Um, I'm still right. This is an awesome feeling. Yeah. I don't. I don't think so. I, I don't. I don't. It has I don't, to. There has to be wrong. like a concept of a decision being formed, not just like what do you like. Who I don't know. Not just like who's better, Burrow or Tua. That's not. A, that's not a democracy. That's just like what do people? That's a poll. That is by. Those are different things. That is a poll. What do what do democracies are to represent the people? Right. And 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 their and their no, thoughts. It's not. It's not just like can we figure out what the people think. It's using the people's opinion to make decisions. Exactly. So the only way to figure out those opinions is with a democratic vote, and then you can use that, that information is, you know, to inform your decisions. Genuinely, not what it is though. That's not what it is. It is actually you are voting to decide something. That is what democracy is. When you <laughs> go, when, I, when the governor governor elections happening, you are voting to pick. Which person should be your governor? It is not like who do you like more. That's not what it is actually. If that was it, that's that kind be- of what it is. Okay, now you're just getting into like some like existential thing. But like, also, you that's... keep applying this to government. Government is nowhere in okay. here. It can also if, be applied to private if organizations. My, if my popcorn lovers club, wow, I keep really honing in on the popcorn thing. Mm, if my popcorn lovers popcorn. club voted to decide what we're going to eat for dinner that night, that is an institution voting, and like, yeah. What popcorn are we eating? We're eating that one. That's democracy. If I say, if it's just me polling, being like, which movie theater do you guys think has the best one? That's not democracy. Yeah, it is. You are so wrong. <laughs> you, it all. It's incredible that like in my what like three years as like a full time sports reporter, like professionally, yeah. I don't really get worked up on opinions about anything. <laughs> I don't feel that strongly about anything, and you have gotten me so worked up right now about something so stupid. Democracy is a system of processing conflicts in which outcomes depend on what participants do, but no single force controls what occurs in its outcomes. The uncertainty of outcomes is inherent Name in source. democracy. So there you go. Name your source. Processing conflicts. Wikipedia. I told you. That's why I started this all off by asking What's you Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Yeah, you got to dig deeper. Uh, I. It's literally, I am reading the... The uh, Wikipedia post titled "Democracy." <laughs> no, I'm saying what's what's the source they're using? Oh, I don't know how. To, I have no idea how to check sources on Wikipedia. Now, if you go to like dictionary.com, it's like let's see. Okay, this says go, go down to number five. Um, political unit that has a democratic government. The common people, especially when consulting the source of political authority. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, now I got an I don't know how to you. Does that oh, mean? No, no. Yeah, does no, that no, mean no. yes, the defenses are crumbling? I still feel like I'm right, but I'm just ready to I feel like I'm we should hold it. a vote <laughs> on which very which definition of democracy. That would not be democracy. That would be just like asking people what they think. You obviously just don't trust the people. Okay, I can't find these horses, and I've probably beat this dead horse enough at this point. R.I.P. those horses. Um R.I.P. the horses. I, I think I understand the beating the dead horse thing, right? Because you probably beat it to death, but you're still beating it after, like, you were pushing the horse so hard, like and then you're still beating it, and it's like, what are you doing, you dumbass? You already killed it. Like, you got to move on, right? Like, that's the origin of the saying. 
Yeah, that sounds about right. Right? Yeah. I mean, if we if we had to guess here. Yeah. It's All right. <clears throat> We're figuring out a lot today. You all have a great day. It's a long episode of the Hold That Podcast. Yeah, how long we go? Like 120? 120. Good call. 122. Yeah. All right. I'm going to go get some tacos, A hell of actually. a biological clock. I'm go get government taco. Put it to a vote, you bitch. I'm sorry. That was aggressive. I got out of the cage. I apologize. I guess I'm a little more fired up than I'm letting on as well. Um, let us know what you think about democracy. Oh, shit. You're not going to like... Do not read the 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 subsection of democracy titled aggregative... How would you say that? Like, if it aggregate, but aggregative? 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 I don't know. That's a good question, actually. Uh, I'm struggling. Don't read that section. Why? Because you're going to be upset. Because it disagrees with me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Y'all have a great day. Hold that podcast. Podcast. HTPP. Let us know who's right on the democracy argument. Go Tigers. Uh, Mississippi State. Wow. Didn't even mention them. They suck. Uh, they lost Tennessee. That's all that needs to be mentioned. They're not kidding. Anything else? Nothing at all. Yeah. Y'all have a great day, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye now.